So have you ever wanted to eat off of a trash can lid? Right? I mean, on, on your list, your bucket list, I'm sure, you know, things that you want to do. Well, for $35, you can make it happen. That's right. Only $35. Fuzzy's Taco Shop is a taco chain out of Fort Worth, Texas. They have locations all over the United States. There is not one in South Carolina yet, but one is coming to Hardyville down near Hilton Head, opening sometime soon. Uh, so you can go take, uh, take a little trip down to, to Hardyville for Fuzzy's. Now, I don't know if that particular location is going to have this item, but according to Cortland at 98.1 FM, K-H-A-K, if you go to any of the Fuzzy's Taco Shops around Cedar Rapids, Iowa, then you can get yourself some trash can lid nachos. Yeah, that's right. A whole trash can lid of nachos. Now, that might sound bad to you at first, but if you love nachos or if you're cheap, and you want to go in with other people for food, this could be your route. This might be right down your alley, you know. It serves six to eight people for 35 bucks. You can go in and, and no big deal. Now, there's all kind of things you can get on your trash can lid nachos, too. This is just a few of the things. Veggies, chicken or fajita chicken, beef or fajita beef, grilled shrimp, tempura shrimp, brisket, pork, house-made pico, shredded cheese, queso, feta cheese, garlic sauce, sour cream, and for an extra four bucks, you can get some guac. I'll never understand why guac is always extra. It's why I don't get it. I'm cheap. I'm not paying extra for guac. When it comes to nachos, Fuzzy's Taco Shop must be blowing the lid off the competition. I mean, you knew that was coming, right? I mean, come on. <laughs> Some already, already said, I bet Dow's getting ready to say this. Yeah. You know, there's another kind of lid in our life that we need. It's uh, not one that we eat off of. It's not one that's going to get blown off somewhere. It's, it's a lid that's removed, a lid that's, that's taken off, so to speak. And this taking off of this lid impacts directly your spouse, your kids, your parents, your neighbors, your friends, your pastor, your fellow church members, pretty much anybody in your life, this particular lid being taken off, it impacts. And this particular lid being taken off, it's, it's an impact directly to your stress, to your fear, to your frustration, to your confusion. It directly impacts your anger, your anxiety, your arrogance, and your apathy. That's some kind of lid, right? So, so what is this lid that must be removed? What is this lid that has such an impact on our lives? Well, Apostle Paul is going to help us find out. Listen to Philippians chapter 3, beginning with verse 15. Let us therefore, as many as are perfect, have this attitude. That's an interesting statement, right? Paul says, you know, some of us are perfect and some of us are not perfect. Got anybody in your house like that? Anybody you work with like that, you know, the kind of person that says, you know what, my way is the only way because, well, my way is the right way, right? I know some folks like that. Maybe we're some of those folks, right? Well, that's not what Paul's saying. This word for perfect here in the, in the Greek language is a word that means full-grown or mature. So what Paul's talking about is growing up in our faith. He's talking about maturing in our faith. This is what Jesus said, Matthew chapter 5, verse 48. 
You are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Does that mean you're never supposed to do anything wrong, that you're never supposed to have any sin, that you're always going to be at church on time, even for Sunday school, which actually starts at 9.15, you know? No, that's, that's not what it means, because that's impossible, right? I mean, who can get here by 9.15? I mean, really, come on, right? No, it's impossible because none of us can be perfect. So when Jesus is saying this in in this sermon that he is preaching to the crowd, what he's doing is he's trying to help us with the notion that praying a sinner's prayer at a a crusade or at a revival or at a summer camp or or even on your knees at your own bed in your own bedroom, praying a, a prayer like that and then living your life with or without Jesus as your king and defender and decider and Lord and Savior and shepherd and leader. Doing that is the opposite of Jesus' sermon on the mount. See, if we're going to claim to be a follower of Jesus, we have to actually follow Jesus. Now, will we do that perfectly? No, we won't. Will we struggle in that? Yes, we will. Will we have some, some days where it seems like we're, or maybe a, a season where it seems like we're, we're backsliding a little bit? Hopefully not. But, but remember, a season is three to four months, not 34 years. If you're the same Christian today that you were five minutes after you prayed some kind of sinner's prayer, then the overarching language of the Bible, God's book, says that you may not be a Christian. Now, should you be offended by that? Should you be defensive about that? Should you puff up with that statement? No. No, you should repent and believe and follow Jesus right now. Start following him today. Don't don't even get wrapped up in the statement. Just accept it and run toward Jesus. Or on the other hand, should you start feeling bad? You know, oh, well, I I can't ever do anything right. I'm never going to be a good enough Christian to follow Jesus. No, don't, don't do that either. Just repent and believe and follow Jesus right now. The call of the gospel is constant. This is what Paul told the folks at Corinth. When I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. Are we supposed to come to Jesus with childlike faith? Yes, Are we supposed to always kind of keep a sense of childlike faith? Yes. But we're supposed to mature in our faith. We're supposed to grow up in our faith. We're supposed to become a a man or a woman after God. We're supposed to become a godly man and a a godly woman. A God-word man. A God-word woman. We're supposed to become a kind of man or woman that an elementary school student or a middle school student or a high school student or a college student could come up to us and ask us questions about God. And our answer would not be, oh, you need to go see the pastor. You know, listen, there's, there's some hard questions out there. In your bulletin this morning, you'll see uh, next to the keep verse, there's a, a little paragraph about wanting to know more about Christianity. And there's a website there called Christianity Explored. Go to that website. Go to the tough questions tab. And watch all those videos this week. They're like three minutes apiece. Just watch one a day. Or, or read them if you don't want to watch the video. And if, if you'll read through those questions and watch those videos over the next couple of weeks, I promise you will be able to answer most questions that any child or young person would come up and ask you. 
See, we need to be the type of, of person that, that when we say we follow after Jesus, we're following after Jesus. And at some point in time, we're able to feel questions about God. We're able to, to lead a prayer group. We're able to, to teach a Sunday school class. We're, we're able to volunteer for vacation Bible school and, and pour our joyful faith into the lives of kids. Keep the childlike faith. Do away with the childlike attitudes. Do away with the childlike actions. What does it look like in real life? Well, if, if you are consistently, I won't even say constantly, let's just say consistently. If you are consistently fighting to get your way at home or at work or at church or at school or in your neighborhood homeowners association or in the waiting room at the doctor. If it's this constant that you have to have things your way, then you might need to get rid of some childlike ways. Because that, that's the opposite of, of what the gospel leads us to do. Maybe more specifically, if your, your pattern in life is never to trust anyone, Never to trust anyone unless they do things the way you want them done or unless they say the things that you want them to say, then you might have some childlike ways that, that you need to get rid of. And see, part of maturing as a Christian is acknowledging that you're immature. <laughs> it's a weird paradox, but, but it's how it works. In other words, that, that we actually say, you know what, I feel bad that I don't have more of Jesus in my mind and my heart and my attitude. See, Christian maturity is being willing to say, I am immature. I need to keep growing up in the Lord. I need to keep maturing in my faith. If you're the kind of person that, that in all of your conversations, you kind of feel like, you know what, these people don't know anything, <laughs> but, I, but I know what's going on. If that's how you are in almost all your conversations at home, work, school, or anywhere else, then, then you probably have some childlike ways that you need to get rid of. You're, you're not really maturing in your faith. To put it bluntly, if that's how we act, we're just growing older and being arrogant. We're not maturing in our faith. Growing up in our faith involves humility. Growing up in our faith involves some willingness to give. And you know how I know that, that without maturing in our faith, we just grow, grow older and arrogant? You know how I know that? Because that's how I am. And that's how you are. See, I, I am a self-centered sinner. And you are a self-centered sinner. No, no, at least one of you went, <laughs> easy preacher. Come on now. I don't, I don't like hearing that. Okay. Okay, but, but it's true about both of us. We're in need of, of less selfishness. We're, we're in need of, of less self-centeredness. And the only way that can change is, is really through one thing. This is what Jesus said, Luke 9, 23. If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross on the fourth Sunday and follow me. I'm reading for the NHV, the new hallucination version there. Now, what does Jesus say? Take up your cross daily. Daily. 
Start over again every day. I'm so thankful for Henry Light back in 1833. Uh, He wrote these words for us to, to sing and embrace. Jesus, I my cross have taken all to leave and follow thee, destitute, despised, forsaken. Thou from hence my all shall be. That's a good line. Thou from hence my all shall be. See, that's what we do as, as Christians. We, we fight every morning to wake up and say, Jesus, I'm taking up my cross again. And you're going to be the one that, that drives my attitudes, and you're going to be the one that drives my actions today. And if that stops, then I'm going to stop in the hallway and I'm going to take up my cross again. Or I'm going to stop while I'm stuck in traffic and I'm going to take up my cross again. Or I'm going to stop when I'm stuck in the waiting room at the doctor. I'm going to take up my cross again and again and again and again. We start over, we start over, we start over. That's one way we keep doing away with childish things. That's, that's one way we keep maturing in our faith. Henry goes on. Perish every fond ambition. All I've sought or hoped or known. Yet, how rich is my condition? God and heaven are still mine own. He's like, nah, whatever I lose, I, I still have God. I, I, I still have eternity. And so our prayer is this, Jesus, help me kill any ambition that begins to tell me or make me think or feel that you are not my greatest treasure. That's one way to to get rid of childish ways. That's one way to to grow up and mature in our faith. Here's another one. Psalm 42, verse 5. Why are you in despair, O my soul? And, And why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him for the help of his presence. In this life, you will have trouble. In this life, you will have despair. In this life, you will be downcast. That, that is life. We cannot avoid those things. So, so what do we do? Well, let me just confess for us. What we do is we get downcast. We We despair. We begin to think that, that God's not working or, or that there's, there's no solution to the problem or that things will never change. That's, that's, what, we, that's what I do. We despair and, and then we despair some more. So, so how do we respond to that? Well, psalmist is telling us, right? We fight to keep hoping in God. We fight to keep praising God. We fight to keep acknowledging that He is present. And we fight to keep knowing that He wants and desires and delights to help us. It's, it's what He does. Let me call on Henry again. Let the world despise and leave me. They have left my Savior too. Human hearts and looks deceive me. Thou art not like them untrue. That's a huge statement. You see, because there's going to be a time that, that your spouse or your kids or your parents or your boss or your coworkers or your fellow church members or your pastor or your politician or your doctor or your nurse, someone in your life for a second, for 60 seconds, for a minute, for an hour, for a day, for a week, for a month, for a year will not be true. 
They'll fail. They're not perfect. They're sinful. They don't get the answer right every single time. They won't be there for you always. We are not perfect people. Jesus, though, is perfect. And Jesus is not untrue. Jesus doesn't misspeak. He doesn't misremember. He's pure. He's faithful. He's perfect. He's true. And that's why we follow him. It's not why we say, oh, I think I prayed something a long time ago. It's why we are compelled to follow Jesus because he is always true. Henry goes on. And while thou shalt smile upon me, God of wisdom, love, and might, foes may hate and friends disown me. Show thy face and all is bright. So good. All is bright. See, that's what we're fighting for. We're fighting to to keep looking at the face of God, and then all is is bright. But how do we see the face of God? Sounds kind of hard, right? This is what Jesus said, Matthew 5, verse 8. Blessed and happy and fortunate to be envied are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. The pure in heart will see God. So how do you know if you're pure in heart? How do you know? Well, the word that Jesus used here for pure, it means unmixed. When my kids were were really little, every now and then if I was going to get something to drink in the refrigerator, and and we always had, you know, half gallons of some kind of juice, and so I'd I'd get the juice bottle out, and I would stick it underneath the the water filter thing on the refrigerator, and I'd fill it up the rest of the way with water. Because you know what? Juice, it was expensive, I had four kids. They'd go through a half gallon in like 30 minutes. So, I mean, I'd fill that thing up with water, and you put it back in the refrigerator, man, it looked like a whole bottle of juice, you know? I mean, it just all mixed in great together. And, you know, here's the thing. When they were little, they just drank it, you know, poured it in a cup and drank it. But here's what's funny. As they got a little bit older, it didn't take long, but their taste buds grew up. Their taste buds matured. And all of a sudden, they realized, man, that dad's mixing that juice with water. I, I ain't. <laughs> Something's not right here. They could taste that it wasn't pure. See, here's the thing. On Sunday mornings, we can kind of all sit here with our, our pure glass of juice. We, we can sit with our little communion glass of pure juice. But then during the week, if we water it down... In other words, if we quit growing up and quit maturing during the week and just kind of pull out that same glass the next day, hey, look at all my pure juice here. You know what's going to happen during the week as we water it down? People are going to see it. And and even if people don't see it, God's going to see it. He's going to see that that we're not growing up. He's going to see that we're watering down that truth all week long with other stuff. He's going to see that we're creating more prizes. See, to be pure in heart means, means to have unmixed attitudes. And, and what I mean by that is this. It, it means that we listen to the words of Jesus and we seek God first and most. Those who are pure in heart, they seek God first and most. And Jesus says those who seek God first and most, they will see God. With, with their eyes? No. Or maybe not literally, but, but they will see God with the eyes of their hearts. 
They will feel in their, their knowledge and, and their thoughts and their attitudes, even in their conduct, the reality of God will be real. They will say, this God is real and this God is good. The pure in heart will feel the power of God. They will feel the love of God. They will feel the grace of God. And, and see, some of us, we, we know exactly what that means because we've had that day and we've had that week where we fought really hard to, to pick up our cross again. We fought really hard to, to keep growing up and, and maturing in our faith, even on the days that we didn't feel like doing it, on the days when, when it, we didn't really want to take another step. But we did. And when we did, we, with that next step, we, we felt the power of God. We felt the love of God. We, we felt the grace of God. I love what Job said. Job 42, verse 5. I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear. It's good. God, I've, I've heard of you by the hearing of the ear. But now my eye sees you. I see you at work, God. I see you with the eyes of my heart. You are real. One pastor put it this way about the pure in heart. They read the newspaper and see the hand of God in history. They see God smile when watching a grandfather walk in the park with a toddler. They look at the stars of heaven and the mountains and see the handiwork of God. Everywhere they go, those who are pure in heart can't help but see God. And the more they see Him, the more pure their heart is. And the more pure their heart is, the more they see Him. See, that, that's one way to, to put off childish ways. That's, that's one way to keep maturing in our faith and, and growing up in our faith. And maybe more specifically what Paul's saying here is, is that you need to move toward having the attitude that I have or, or the attitude that many of the early Christians had. And their attitude was this, if I have to give my life for Christ, okay. If I have to suffer and die for the gospel, Okay. In other words, Paul's saying, I'm praying that you will have the kind of attitude where you will be able to say, not just as some Bible verse, but as the motto of your life, to live as Christ and to die as gain. Now, having that attitude doesn't necessarily mean that God is going to ask you to die for your faith. He might. I don't know. But at the very least, it does mean that if we're going to mature in our faith, if we're going to grow up in our faith, then we need to take up our cross every day. And we need to remember those words from Henry. Jesus, thou hence my all shall be. I mean, we don't use hints a lot in, in casual conversation, I know. But man, what a great word. Jesus, thou hence my all will be. And how do we get there? I mean, what if we... What if we end up being a 65-year-old person who never matured beyond the vacation Bible school lessons? What do we do? See, that's the beauty of taking up your cross. See, when you take up your cross, or to use Paul's language, when you press on to know the Lord, something amazing happens. Listen to what he says, verse 15. And if anything, you have a different attitude, God will reveal that also to you. This is super good. What that means is that God will take off the lid. That's what the word reveal means. It means removing a cover. 
And so the picture here is that God, at just the right moment in your life, will take off the lid so that you can see something else about him, something else about his character, something else about how he does things. And when you see that thing, you begin to mature in that thing. You begin to grow up in that thing. You begin to see and know God more and more. Really what you do is you begin to say, you know what? Live as Christ and the die is gain. So that's what it means to kind of grow up. You keep putting away the, the childish things. And, and this verse begins to kind of become the driving purpose of your life. That's how God's grace and his mercy and his love work. He, he takes a lid off at a time. He, he doesn't bring a, a big, huge trash can lid of nachos. Now he just, he removes one lid at a time. So it's like one chip and a little bit of queso at a time. Just what we need along the way. Because if it was just a a big trash can lid of spiritual nachos, you know what would happen? We'd be all excited. Oh, man, look at all this great stuff from God. Man, I can't wait to dig in. And about 12 nachos in, man, you're hurting already, you know? And you're like, man, I got to push back for a little bit. I got to take a break. And you know what happens to the rest of those nachos and the trash can lid? They get soggy. All that queso starts weighing down on them. The grilled shrimp, it goes bad. So no, God doesn't throw out a a big trash can lid of spiritual nachos. He just leads us step by step, chip by chip, if you will. He leads us, and we follow him. And when he leads us, we need to follow him. And God is never going to lead us to walk backwards. It's not how he leads. He leads forward. Listen to what Paul says next. However, let us keep living by that same standard to which we have attained. In other words, don't be a 65-year-old person who only has a vacation Bible school level. And don't be a, you know, kind of an arrogant theologian that feels like you know everything. No, it, it just means follow God step by step, chip by chip. And you keep up with Jesus at his speed, at his pace, and with his grace. But you don't go backwards. As you grow, you you stay where you are and you you keep moving forward. When we mature individually, we also mature together. When we are individually pursuing God, when we're individually growing up in our faith, we as a church will grow up in our faith. And and we won't just grow up, we'll have some unity in our faith. But it's important that we say we have unity in our faith. We have unity in God's truth. Remember what Jesus prayed, John 17, 17. Sanctify them, Lord, in the truth. Your word is truth. It's possible for us to be unified in sin. It's possible. Sadly, there, there are far too many churches that continue to abandon the Bible. They continue to abandon the truth in God's Word. But you know what? They're unified. That <laughs> They're just unified in the wrong thing. Adrian Rogers once said this, It is better to be divided by the truth than to be united in error. It is better to speak the truth that hurts and then heals than falsehood that comforts and then kills. See, we we have to have unity in the gospel. 
we really don't have to have unity in hardly anything else, you know? I mean, we don't have to agree on donuts, and we don't have to agree on bacon, and we don't have to agree on music, and we don't have to agree on clothes, and and we don't have to agree on football or, or baseball or basketball. But we have to agree on the gospel. As a church, we, we have to agree on the gospel. And when we agree on the gospel, the other things don't matter because God will show us what we need to do. But if we focus on all the other things, then the gospel will get lost and the church will not grow up. The church will not mature in her faith. The church will keep childlike attitudes and actions. And so God in his kindness tells Paul to tell us, hey, you know what? Grow up (laughs) in a good way. Mature in a great way. Leave those childish ways behind and, and start taking up your cross. Start pressing on to know the Lord. And as you do, stay where you're growing. Don't go backwards. Maintain and attain where you are. As the church grows up in the gospel, God does the same thing for the church as he does for us individually. He, he takes the lid off just when we need it. He takes the lid off and shows us the next step. Somebody has described this as like a toddler learning how to walk. You know, you have a, a toddler who, you know, the parent will go and just kind of you know, take a few steps back and kind of hold their hands and they, they let go, you know. Step back a couple, and, and the child, you know, kind of waddles, a, you know, a couple of steps to him. And what does that parent do? They step back a little more. <laughs> you know, they keep kind of stepping away. Not because they don't love them, because they love them. They, they, they want their child to learn to walk. They don't leave them, but they don't grab them. You know, they don't helicopter parent. They, they just keep stepping away because they want them to grow. God's no different. God never leaves, but, but he'll step back because he wants us to grow. He wants us to follow him. So the question is this, are you ready to take the next step with God? Are you ready to keep pressing on to know Christ? Is Jesus your prize, or have you gotten confused with other prizes? Another part of what Paul seems to be saying here is don't dabble in Christianity. Don't, don't dabble. You can't dabble with Christianity on Sunday and then do your thing the rest of the week and come back and dabble again on Sunday. Now, remember what Henry Light said. Jesus, thou from hence my all shall be. That's a, that's a daily morning thing. Jesus, thou hence my all shall be. I'm, I'm starting over this morning. I'm starting over this afternoon. I'm starting over today. In keeping with our Olympic references from the last few Sundays, it seems that, that Paul is giving us a, an image here that if you're going to be a Christian, you've got to be a runner. You've got to run. If you're a Christian and you don't run, something's wrong because the gospel compels us to run. But it's more than just running. Charles Spurgeon said this, You have seen a man running very fast, how he leans forward as though he would send his heart before him and go quicker than his legs can carry him. That's what it means to press home for Christ. That's what it means to to grow up in Christ. That's what it means to mature and leave the childish ways behind. We are running to Jesus. We are running for Jesus. But we're running in such a way that we're almost trying to send our heart ahead. 
because we see the joy of what we have in Christ. So what does that look like in the life of a real person? Not just Olympic language or theological language. What is, what is this aspect of running, of pressing on, of maturing, of growing up? What, what does it look like in real life? I read a story a few years ago about an older woman who continued to grow spiritually in her older years. She died when she was in her 90s. And her daughter found a note on her desk that she had written the night before she died. And the daughter looked down at the note, and this is what it said. It was her personal spiritual goals for the next five years. That's pressing on. That's growing up. That's maturing. That's a woman in her 90s saying, you know what? I got five more years or more, so I'm, I'm going to map out. How can I grow? She wasn't sitting around in her 90s going, well, I'm perfect. I got all the answers. That pastor, he should listen to me. My kids should listen to me. My grandkids, they should listen to me. I got all the answers. Now she said, you know what? I'm, I'm still in need of Christ today. God, where are we going to go for the next five years? How can I press on for the next five? Friends, God has called us to press on for Christ. If we are going to be a Christian, we cannot stand still. Some days you may be able to run really hard. And I'll be honest, some days you'll need some of us to come underneath your arms and carry you the next step. And you know what? Some days I'll need you to do that for me. But we need to move forward. As Paul says, we need to forget what's behind. We need to reach forward. We need to press forward. We need to keep seeing that what is ahead in Jesus is of greatest value to us. And we let that fuel our lives. Thou, hence, my all shall be. So, in honor of this precious woman, in honor of the power of the gospel, in honor of the life that Paul lived, in honor of the death and resurrection that Jesus provided for you. The question for all of us today is this, are we going to do it? Are we going to press on? Are we going to reach for the prize? Friend, there is no greater thing that we can do with our lives than to press on for Jesus. Let us press on together.